0: Hi, I'm Michael Senoff, founder and CEO of hardtofindseminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business all from home from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online Tell me, what are you finding from your experience today that people really want to know how to do that you can give them some ideas that will help them?
1: I think people want to make money and be independent. They want to be independently wealthy, meaning that they have the freedom to work on their own without having a boss over them who goes less than they do. If they want to go to a movie in the afternoon or to their child's play, that they can do that. If they want to spend time with their family during the afternoon when it's nice, as opposed to only seeing them in the evening when it's dark and no time left to do any real thing like that, they want to have freedom.
0: Hi, this is Michael Schnapp with HardToFindSeminars.com. Now you can learn the inside secrets from one of the top copywriting experts in America. His name is Carl Galletti. Carl Galletti has risen to the top of the world of direct response advertising and is now considered by many to be one of the best freelance copywriters and marketing experts in the world. I had the honor and the pleasure of interviewing Carl, and I can attest that he is unique as a copywriter because of his vast marketing skills and experience. Many of the top people in direct response advertising use Carl to write advertising copy for them, including Gary Halbert, author of the Gary Halbert Letter. And here's what Gary had to say about Carl. Carl Galetti is perhaps the most serious student of the masters of marketing I've ever encountered. Carl Galetti's list is diverse. He has worked with authors, professional speakers, publishers, computer companies, contractors, exam- executive search firms, printers, training organizations, jewelry manufacturers, schools, health technology firms, and American Red Cross. Anyone can benefit from Carl's advice and copy. If you want to learn how to sell more, write great copy, and market your product or service better than ever before, listen to this exclusive interview with
1: Carl Galletti. Where were you born? I was born in Trenton, New Jersey. You brothers and sisters? No. Only child. What did your parents do? My father was a truck driver, and my mother worked in a factory, General Motors factory. They were basically uneducated. I think my father went up to sixth grade or something. He didn't even go to junior high school. I think my mother might have even gone to ninth grade or something. Was he on the road a lot? No. He mostly did local stuff, so he was very seldom gone for more than a day. Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? As far as I can remember, I was. I loved technical stuff and electronics. When I was about 12 years old, I got my ham radio license. This was odd because at school I had failed English twice and was getting B's in most of my other subjects, and here I was passing a federal communications examination that I personally knew people who were 21 and older who were failing it and it had trigonometry and advanced electronics. That's because I'm oriented toward things that interest me and I kind of let everything else go by the wayside, so to speak. So I wasn't all that enthusiastic about my teachers in that particular grade, but the very next year I got straight A's. so it depends on whether I'm interested in it or not. I built my own transmitters and receivers and antennas and all sorts of other so what's the real appeal? That. The real appeal is the fact that here you are, you can communicate all around the world, either by voice or Morse code. So here I was in my little room here in Trenton, New Jersey, communicating all around the world. Were you doing Morse code? Yeah, primarily because I didn't really have enough room for a really good antenna. But I did have a friend of mine. He was about a year younger than me, and we both got our licenses about the same time and kind of ran into each other on the air. Did
0: you do any other entrepreneurial ventures? Did you ever sell anything like reading cards?
1: Yeah, I was always looking for something to do. I got those printing catalogs where you'd go around selling printing, and I signed up for those selling pots and pans door-to-door, but I never actually did it. I was kind of too young. My mother said, you're not going around selling door-to-door.
0: Looking back on it, were you
1: influenced by some of the ads in the back of magazines? I used to read magazines primarily for the ads. To me, that was the exciting part of the magazines, just because you got to find out all of what the stuff was going on, and I learned more from reading ads than I did from reading the rest of the magazine. Did you order stuff through the mail? Yeah, occasionally I did. I didn't have a lot of money as a kid, which probably is why I was so entrepreneurially oriented. I was always wanting to know, how do I make more money? here? 12 years old, you don't have much money, and I lost after all of this expensive ham radio equipment that I couldn't have. To some degree, it was aided by the fact that my friend had this equipment, so I go over his house and use his equipment and stuff. His father was a doctor, so he could buy virtually anything he wanted. We always did things entrepreneurially together, and later, in fact, formed the first computer company that I formed. A good time at college. It, fun for it was sort of fun. What appealed to me, is I love learning, but I just couldn't stand being in a classroom, just a regimented spit back to me what I want you to spit back to me on my exam and then playing this game of guess what we're going to put on the exam kind of a thing. To me, that just seemed to be a waste of time and actually really did want to be an electronics engineer. The real reason why I wanted to be an electronics engineer is because I wanted to design things so that I could sell them. My thing was entrepreneurial. I can remember going through popular electronics magazines, figuring out what the prices I could get all these different parts are so that I could build this thing at a wholesale level and then sell it for a profit.
0: What happened next? And let's get into
1: your first experience with all this copywriting. Way back in '64, I had read David O'Reilly these book Confessions of an Advertising man, and got the advertising bug and start this little ad company one summer as a summer job. But what happened is one summer I didn't have a summer job so I decided I was going to sell advertising so I came up with this idea to sell advertising on book covers and send out this letter to universities offering to give them free book covers with advertising on it. I sent out 100 letters in about four universities to sign up with it. So that was a 4% response. I was ecstatic. And then I was working for a computer company doing programming. So I was their 13th employee. It was a real small time. That branch later became the basis for Exxon Office Systems. And somewhere along the line there, I started working for another company called Princeton Consultants. About that time, I was interested in seminars, and I had an idea that there's a lot of money being spent on seminars, and I've learned a lot from seminars. So I'd gone to some real estate seminars. I'd gone to some computer seminars. Nothing marketing related, but I said, there's a lot of people here. They're spending money. Where's all the money going? I found out what it would cost to rent a place. That's a part of the money, but it's not the biggest chunk. And then getting speakers, that's not the biggest chunk either, but it's part of it. The biggest chunk is in promoting the seminar. So I decided I need to know as much about promoting as possible in order to make this doable. So I began getting interested in that. And wanted to start somewhat of sell seminars and seminar business. Exactly. I knew that it was a great way to learn stuff and we you could accelerate. What year are we at right now? We're in the 80s, we're in about 87.
0: That's when I first started seeing you in the Harry Albert seminars in
1: 89 and 88. Right, exactly. And so what happened was that I started studying more about copywriting and marketing and stuff. And I had Entrepreneur Magazine, which I'd read religiously, and I always wanted to get these books they had that would tell you how to start all these businesses and stuff so I was looking in there and I decided I'm going to get some of these things I'm going to get the one on seminars I'm going to get the one on various other things I forget what it was so I called up to order these things and it turned out that what I wanted to order was almost as much as some special package they had. so they upsold me to the special package which is really a good deal because it gave me everything I wanted plus a heck of a lot more for not too much more money but it was an upsell and that upsell was designed by Jay Abraham, and as a result of that, Do you think that
0: upsell was specifically designed by him for
1: entrepreneurs. Yeah, he did that for entrepreneur at the time. He was the guy who said, take all these this information he got, on reports, put them into these packages, and then upsell them on the telephone. So I was one of those upsellies, and I'm thankful that I was because if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have been on the list. That Jay Abraham sent out his first promotion for his first newsletter, okay. which was your marketing genius at work. And I'm sitting there saying five hundred bucks for a newsletter, I never spent that much for a newsletter. You paid your five hundred dollars up front and got it over twelve months. You got that sales letter in the mail. Right. And the reason is because I had bought this entrepreneur package. And so in one of the things that I read, I read this really great guy's letter to his son teaching him about marketing. I said, this guy's great. By the way, in the beginning I said, if I'm going to pay $500 for this, I want to know everything this guy tells me. If he mentions a book, I'm going out and getting it. I'm going to read it. The thing I was impressed most about Jay was is getting $2,000 an hour for a consultation on the telephone at the time. And I said, if he can do that, I want to know everything he knows. So I said, I'm going to, find out and all the books that he reads whenever he mentions I'm going to get them so he started mentioning some books and I'd go around and, and call up all over the country trying to get them and they weren't in the bookstores and he kind of had special order and all this kind of stuff some of them were out of print etc so this one guy I read I said I really need to call Jay's office and ask who this guy is because he didn't say and within two or three days I get this letter from him it's Gary Halbert and he's starting his first newsletter I called up immediately I said that's the guy and I knew it was him because he mentioned the Tova Borgnine promotion. The reason it's called Boron is because it's written from Boron Prison. The Boron letters were in a edited form in Jay's Your Marketing Genius at Work, but he didn't mention who it was, but the Boron letters mentioned the Tova Borgnine ad. The promotion I got for Gary's newsletter mentioned right on the first page the Tova Borgnine ad. So I put it together. I called up immediately and ordered, and Paul Latita, who was his girlfriend at the time, answered the phone and signed me up. And later I found out, she said, you were one of our first people. I said, yeah, well, I, I knew exactly who it was, and I wanted that good information. So whenever Jay or Gary would mention a book, I'd go out and I'd track it down. And one of the books they mentioned was the Robert Collier letter book, which was out of print, and you could not get it anywhere. So I devised a system. I went through interlibrary loan. I got to be an expert at getting things from interlibrary loan. At the time, they had a computer system set up where they could find the book in other libraries and order it. Get it in, and I could take it out for a couple weeks. And what I do is I take it out and I Xerox it and then give it back to them, and I have a Xerox copy for myself. Well, when I got the Robert Collier letter book, it was so great. I said, I need to get the reprint rights to this. So I contacted Prentice Hall, got the reprint rights to it, and reprinted it. Tell me specifically how that process worked. You wanted to get to reprint right Right. I called the company, and I actually got lucky because the person that I was put together with was preparing to leave the company. I didn't know what I was doing, and I said, how does this work? I don't know. Can you tell me? So she kind of took pity on me, and she gave me the inside information, and she said, look, here's what the normal deal is. And so we did the thing. I had to give them some money up front. I think I had to give them like $500 up front and another $500 when I published the book. And then this was an advance against royalties. But I didn't know how much royalty I'd have to pay. I forget. I think it was something like seven and a half, eight percent percent or whatever. Of whatever you sold? Yeah, the selling price. Is this how it probably still works today? I know a lot more about it now. You could probably negotiate something between 5 and 10%. It depends on the publisher and the book and so stuff I, like that. Give me an
0: example. If I wanted to call a publisher and I was interested in, let's say I went on Amazon.com, I found a book that's out of print, got the publisher,
1: I call them up. What would be the best thing to say how to approach but First, you have to find out whether they have any intentions of publishing it again. If they don't, then you can negotiate something with them. If they do, then it's going to be real difficult because they've already got plans. and You're going to have to have a deal that's so lucrative that they're going to put their plans on hold, which is not an impossibility because they're always looking for better ways to use their money. And They don't usually republish backlist stuff. Backlist is stuff that they've already promoted. The way book companies work nowadays is because of the tax laws And I know this guy, Don Lancaster, who's got like 28 books published, says that the IRS is responsible for burning more books than Hitler ever did. Because of the structure of the tax laws, it makes more sense for them to destroy their books at the end of the year than to carry them over and pay taxes on them. Because they have to pay taxes on the full retail value of them, it only cost them like 5 or 10% of the retail price. So the taxes end up being more than it the cost of them to print the book. What this gal informed me of is, at the time, we're talking about the late 80s, I think, $1,000 was a typical upfront royalty fee, and you paid half in advance. In no, other words, half on signing the contract and the other half when you actually printed the book, when it was actually published. And then, of course, you had to make royalty payments if the royalty went above $1,000. So you do that and then you negotiate what the royalty payment is and that can be anything from five to ten percent. Sometimes it's also whether it's based on the retail price or the wholesale price. But the publishers are not stupid, they do this themselves. They'd rather have it based on the retail price and get as much as they can. And then they negotiate for the author and they have an arrangement with the authors. All right, so you (coughs) negotiated Robert Collins writer book? Correct. And got that printed and start selling that because he couldn't get it anywhere. And very few people knew to get it through interlibrary loan. And if anybody knew about that, then those copies would be in constant circulation. So, were you the guy really responsible for kind of bringing Robert Collier back? Yeah. Definitely, because before that, people couldn't get a hold of the book. Jay and Gary would say, you got to get the Robert Collier letter book. No matter what you do, go to the Library of Congress and take it out. Well, who's going to go to the Library of Congress in Washington and take it out and read the book? That's an expensive proposition. So reprinting the book was a real service.
0: So that was the first one you got the reprint rights to? Yeah. I know that you were selling. them um, you got in with Jay or Gary Halpert where you were a source for hard-to-find books. Yeah,
1: and they'd refer people to me to buy the Robert Collier letter book. And when people would call, I'd say, um, by the way, you're looking for any of those other books they're recommending. Most of them weren't out of print. They were hard to get. So I'd contact the distributor and buy them at wholesale and resell them. All right,
0: get a little hard to find book business. Exactly. So you devoured to devour everything in that you're a marketing genius at work. Right. That so you got in the mail. All right, so you devoured that. Now you're on Gary Halbert's newsletter. Have you gone to any of their seminars yet?
1: I had gone to one of Jay's $5,000 seminars that was in New Jersey for coin dealers. The coin dealer who can? Right. I started doing some copywriting at the time and was getting good because I was listening to what Jay and Gary were talking about and I had been to his seminar and I was kind of pretty smart on the subject. I was reading everything in Gary's newsletter and absorbing this and reading Claude Hopkins and Robert Collier. So I was kind of like one of the best read copywriters at the time and doing fairly well. So Gary had this $7,000 College of Millionaires, he called it. And it was the first one. He sent it out to his list, and I got it, and I said, geez, I can't afford $7,000. Do you know if that was his first seminar that he did? Yeah, it was the first seminar that he did since starting his newsletter, and I think it was the first marketing seminar he ever did. No, I could be wrong about that. He might have had done some others before that. He did something in Spokane, and I'm not sure what the timing was on that. The
0: uh, marketing revolution with Mark Stoddard.
1: Yeah, he was doing stuff at the Jefferson Institute. He was doing J. Abraham, Ted Thomas. Ted Thomas used to buy Robert Collier letterbooks from me all the time. He'd be doing these Jefferson Institute things for $5,000 a piece, and he'd give people a Robert Collier letterbook with it.
0: How many of these books were you
1: selling? Are selling? Hundreds of them? No. It was good, steady business, but I forget how many years I was selling them. I think I sold just about a couple thousand copies. That put you in contact with the That's the biggest thing, because it put me in contact with people, and I'd have really good conversations because it got me on the phone, and I just never stopped talking. Jay's people would call me, and Gary's people would call me. I'd get to know all of these people. Let's go back to, you got the newsletter from Calvert, $7,000 seminar. I thought, I said, he mentions in this thing that he's going to have copywriters there. So I said, let me promote myself as a copywriter. So I wrote him this letter that basically was like a sales letter selling him on the idea of using me as one of those copywriters. And lo and behold, he, he hired me to be one of the copywriters at the seminar. And that was in Key West. And that's where I met Ken Kerr and a number of other people what he had was he did that thing and he'd have the copywriters assigned to different people. He'd do hot seats, which were, he'd get one of the attendees who had paid $7,000 up and he'd describe what their business was, what he was doing, and then he'd come up with this dynamite headline and concept, and then the copywriter who was assigned to that person would then go off and actually execute the copy for it. It was excellent. Obviously the people who were paying $7,000 were not newbies and these are people who had some Money to spend. So that was your first time. Did he pay you to come down there and do it? He paid our expenses, so he didn't pay us beyond that, no, but we kind of got the seminar for free. And we got client work out of it because we got to be known amongst the attendees. So we got some client work out of the thing. In fact, one of the things, there was a guy there, he and his wife were doing How to Pick Up Girls kind of book. I had also made friends with Paul Hartunian, who had a similar type book, and the other guy, Ross Jeffries, who had a seduction book. I was talking to Ross Jeffries on the phone one day, and he said he's going on Donahue. So I quickly called up Paul Hurtunian and this other guy and said, This guy's going to be on Donahue. Maybe you should call and see if he can get on, too. So Paul got on, and this other couple got on as well.
0: Do you know what happened as a result of them being on
1: Donahue as far as sales of their books? Ross Jeffries in business. He's like the number one how to pick up woman bookseller today. Sell
0: so thousands of his books as a result from Donahue, that
1: one shot. Oh, from the one shot? I don't know what the figures were off of Donahue, but it launched his career. As far as, far as Paul's concerned, he was coming out with his book at the time, and I actually did the book design and the typesetting on it because Paul was considering coming out with it in a small format, like 6x9. And I said, Are you going to sell this in a bookstore or through mail? And he said, No, through mail, I said, if I get something through the mail $14.95, I want it to be big. I don't want it to be small. First of all, I suggest selling it for $20, like $19.95. And second of all, make it an 8.5 by 11 format, because when they get it in the mail, it'll be bigger, and it doesn't cost much more because of the form factor. He said, I don't know, it won't have very many pages then. I said, well, you know what? I'll design it for you. It'll have enough pages. And it had like 80 when I started, and by the time we got finished, we added some things to it, made the type nice and big, proper spacing in there, and got it up to about 120 pages or so. Do you think it's important to put up a book like that when you're selling through the mail? Yeah, it's better to put more information in, but Paul had good information already. It was sufficient information, but when someone receives something in the mail, they want to see some substance to it, especially if they pay some good money for it. So he made it that form factor, and consistently, every year since then, sells about 15,000 copies of it at 20 a piece. So at this time, were you seriously devouring Robert Collier, Claude Hopkins, and anyone else? You mm-hmm. I picked up this thing called NewsTrack Advertising Classics, which was the only thing I could find on the marketing classics that was on tape, and I used to listen to that over and over again. Did Jay Abraham had the rights to that? On- Not at the time, no. It was put out by a company called NewsTrack. Did you buy the rights to that? I didn't buy the rights to that, but I was buying them through NewsTrack until they went out of business, and then they sold it to Jay, and I was getting them from Jay after that. That was one of the first things that I got it Yeah, we still sell it. What are you doing for a living right now at this time? Are you still working? I was writing copy at this time. When I got the Jay's first newsletter, Your Marketing Genius at work. I went in and quit because I was so excited about the possibilities that I could do with this marketing thing. And they thought I was lying to them. They thought I had another job and didn't want to tell them. And I said, no. And then they thought, well, maybe you just don't like working for us. And I said, no, I like you guys. Do you not like the work? How about the pay? We can probably give you more in a few months when things get going better. And I said, no, the pay is fine. You guys are fine. I like the work. But I just really fire up passionate about this marketing stuff. And I want to give it a shot. They thought I was crazy, of course. My wife thought I'd gotten fired and just didn't want to tell her. I made that bold leap. I read about who was the guy, Alexander the Great, who burned his ships behind him or somebody else. So I was burning my ships behind me. I quit the job. Didn't have anything to go to. I'm just was just going to make this marketing thing work. So there. Copywriting Actually, the company I worked for hired me a few months later to write copy for them. And I wrote a kick butt yellow pages ad for them that like tripled their business. Were you
0: using some of the techniques you learned from Jay Abraham as far as ads? For
1: everything I learned from Jay Abraham, Gary Halbert, Claude Hopkins, Robert Colliard, John Caples, David Ogilvy. Lester Wonderman, Elmer Wheeler, a whole bunch of those guys. Max Sackheim, Dick Schwab. John Caples knew Ogilvie. They knew each other. Robert Collier was, predates these guys and post-dates Claude Hopkins. Claude Hopkins, Albert Lasker, and Johnny Kennedy knew each other.
0: Out of all these guys, who really impacted you the most? Any one person?
1: It's hard to say. I'd have to mention a few people. Certainly, Claude Hopkins was a major factor. He's one of the big guys. Robert Collier is another one. John Cables, David Ogilvy, Johnny e. Kennedy. Absolutely, I consider Johnny e. Kennedy, Albert Lasker, and Claude Hopkins to be kind of one guy. They're almost one guy. I consider them all together. Robert Collier's part by himself, John Caples by himself. Robert Collier uh, an entrepreneur working for himself, or was he a copywriter working for a company? He was mostly a copywriter working for a company. He later on did some things. You know what? He was a combination. He did do a lot of entrepreneurial stuff, especially in publishing, but it was outside of the realm of marketing and copywriting. He actually did a lot of spirituality-based stuff. You're immersed in
0: copywriting. You're studying all the masters. You've attended a first Gary Halbert seminar. You're meeting people who are interested in this type of material. You're now doing
1: freelance copywriting. What were you charging
0: at that time for your copywriting services?
1: I think it was somewhere between 5000 and 6500 for a typical direct mail response letter. How I came up with that rate is there was this publication that showed the rates of all these different copywriters and I kind of averaged them all out they averaged out to $6,500 what was the publication? who's charging what and uh, put out by Denny Hatch I basically picked the median range. And that's based on a typical direct mail response letter, which is typically eight pages plus order form, whatever.
0: Tell me some stories
1: about some successes that you've
0: had with your clients as a result of your skill as a copywriter and what that could mean for a business. But can you illustrate some stories that really stick out in your head where your copywriting really
1: produced some great results? Yeah, I told you about the uh, Princeton Consultant's in the back right in the beginning and mm-hmm. stuff. There was another client, All-American Collectibles. We used to send out a mailing promoting these collectible lithographs that were hand-signed by famous sports figures and things like that. I wrote a letter for a T1 for Joe DiMaggio, and we sold millions of dollars worth of those things. I think we sold millions of dollars each mailing, and I did probably a dozen mailings. How did you meet this client? We actually had met personally at a J. Abraham seminar. We had exchanged cards, but nothing happened right away. And Then they contacted me later on, and they were interested in doing something. So we started up something. So they were primarily sold through just direct mail? Yeah. They did some advertising to get leads. They had a whole phone room that would close them once they called in, but mm-hmm. they chiefly responded to people through direct mail, they got leads from ads. And then they had their mailing list that they would send out to buyers and people who were interested. That was all direct mail. Now
0: at this time, was this one of your first clients, as a result of your copy, you really made some serious money for him? Was this one of your bigger,
1: first, earlier clients that you made a lot of money for through um, your copy? I'm not sure how early it was. It took place over a number of years, and I can't even quite say how many years because I'm not sure. It was a bunch of years, and I'd do three or four for them, and then a little while later do some more for them and whatever. You're studying the stuff
0: and you're reading, but actually seeing the results of a letter is something different. I mean, at what point did it really click that you said, my God, this is incredible what just
1: words on paper can do? Any one particular project? Yeah, actually it was one of my own projects. Actually, a series of things. Here's the genesis of this thing. I had uh, Ted Thomas got this idea for doing a seminar, and it's called the Information Marketing Super Conference, as opposed to the Internet Marketing, which is my seminar. His was the Information Marketing Super Conference in Las Vegas. He tried to get that thing going, but wasn't successful. I was one of the speakers. It, it wasn't successful because the speakers didn't promote it to their list. So I was talking to him about it one day. I said, "What you've got to do is you've got to give them a sales letter." to send out, and if they want to modify or write their own, that's fine. But a lot of them are too darn busy to do that. They're just going to take your sales letter, reproduce it, and send it out. So he hired me to write the sales letter for that seminar, and we go back to why did I get involved in copywriting and marketing? Why was I interested in the first place? It's to sell seminar So this, in essence, was my first opportunity to do that. I wrote a letter. He sent it out to all the speakers. We sent it out. We got 550 people to the seminar. Was uh, this the first one he did? Yeah. He doesn't do information marketing anymore. He did foreclosures and tax lien, and tax lien is primary one that he does now. The reason I'm asking is because when I interviewed Brian Keith-Voyles, he says he
0: wrote a letter. The second one. He did the second one. Gotcha. So you did the first one. You filled the room with 500
1: people. Yeah.
0: Was that mainly from the speakers sending out the letter to their customers? That was all of it. That was all of it. It wasn't any cold direct
1: mail to any list that had never really heard about information marketing? I don't think so. I'm not sure actually who gave the thing to, but my understanding was he primarily gave it to the speakers. So that was one early on thing. Here's an interesting thing that happened at the seminar. I'm presenting on stage there, and I was talking pretty much about infopreneuring and licensing and things like that. Well, I come off the stage, and who comes up to me but Robert Allen? And he shakes hands. He says, I want to shake your hand. That was the best presentation I've seen today. And I said, oh, thank you very much. I noticed his tag, and it said Robert Allen. And I was almost going to say, are you the Robert Allen? Because I wasn't sure. It's a fairly common yeah. right. name. He was the Robert Allen. I was pretty impressed by that. And later on, he came up to me and he said, I noticed you used a pen on your overhead slides. We were using overhead slides in those days. Mm-hmm. There weren't any LCD projectors. And he said, do you mind if I borrow that? I said, sure. He says, now, I may use all the ink in it. I'm just saying, you all the internet How are you going to do that? I said, well, I've got extra ones. It doesn't matter. I said, what are you going to do with it? He says, I'm going to sign these dollar bills. And he had a stack of dollar bills and he's signing his name on each one of them. And I said, why are you doing that? He said, come watch my presentation. You'll find out.
0: And he was speaking right there,
1: too. Yeah. And so I have watched his presentation and I've never seen anything more brilliant in my life. turns out that Part of that brilliance, he was trained by John Childers on a lot of this stuff and other people, but John Childers is one of the people who works with him. So
0: but John Childers did a lot of training for him? the John Childers he been around that long? He worked with
1: him, yeah, yeah in, in creating these presentations and stuff. And he still does today. He speaks at Robert Allen events. But I didn't know who John Childers was at the time anyway. So I watched it, and I was totally amazed because by the end of his talk, he had people running up to him just like hordes of people running up to sign up for this $2,000 wealth retreat program. The long and short of it is he's holding these regularly, and we're talking on the phone, and he invites me to come out and and do part of the presentation. Actually, me and Ken Kerr and I, I went out there, and I did a presentation on copywriting and marketing and infopreneuring and licensing, things like that, and I did this one segment. He lets you do a pitch at the end of one of your segments. So I did this one-hour talk, and at the end of the hour talk, was about licensing. The day before, I'd given them two letters, and I said, Read these two, because we're going to use this tomorrow when we talk about licensing. I'm going to show you how this works. So I did. At the end of my presentation, I said, so if you're interested in this deal, I've got a special deal for you today. I'll give you two years of the license for free if you buy my copyright or protege program, which we didn't talk about how that started, but mm-hmm. we'll backtrack that. So at the end of the thing, I'll go over to the table. There were about 30 buying units in the room. By buying units, I mean for husband and wife is together. That's yes. one buying unit. Right. Speakers and stuff like that. And on it, there were probably maybe about 50 or 60 people. But mm-hmm. about 30 buying units. I sold about 18 uh, right then and there, and it, it ended up, it came up to $15,900 in orders that I booked after an hour talk. Did you use some of the stuff you heard from Robert Allen, or you just did your own it, thing? You no, know, what I used was my copy. See, what I'd given them is I'd given them the sales letters to read the day before, and then I just used my copy as an example of in explaining licensing to them, because one of that sales letters sold a license to my Marketing Made Easy workshop, which is a the product they had created. So that was something that I said, wow, yeah, this copy really does work. In one than cases than any. The other thing was my copyrighted Protégé program. When did you develop that? 1992. And what it was is there's this guy by the name of Lawrence Payback. Did you know Lawrence? I didn't know him personally. I know the name his book he had a book called How to Fatten Your Wallet and no- yep. yeah I got it the blue one right and basically it was a knockoff of Halbert. Gary Halbert's How to Make Max Be in Minimum Time but in Lawrence's own style it wasn't any plagiarism or anything he just did a similar kind of book on marketing and copywriting but mm-hmm. in his own style and he had this flair and he sold it through the magazines and he sold a ton of these things and at the back of the book he had an offer it was a consulting thing and he said Unlimited consulting, call me whenever you want to, $695. I'm saying to myself, how could he possibly make that thing work?
0: Unlimited, say it again.
1: Unlimited Uh consulting. There's a program, I forget what he called the program. When you sign up for it for $695, you got to call him up. He had some control on it. He had a secretary, so he couldn't just call him up and spend all your time on the phone with him. But he had a secretary that was screening calls and said would set up a time, and then you had a few minutes with him, but you had no limit on how much you could do this.
0: And this offers in the back of that book. Right.
1: And I said, you know, geez, you must be tied down and doing a lot of that stuff. And I got the thing that I'd like to do something like that for copywriting because I was thinking about creating a program. I said people would call me, Jay Abraham's people and Gary Halbert's people. Mm-hmm. And of course, now. Lawrence Tabak's people would be calling me because one of the things he did is in his book he listed three books they had to get, and he said, here's the easiest way to get them, call Carl Galetti and my phone number. So I was thinking, can come up with my own product? I need to be making some money here. I'm spending a lot of time on the phone talking to people, and that's a waste of time. I don't make any money on that. I need to figure out a way to get paid for it. Well, Jay had had this protege program, and that wasn't what I was gonna do, but I like to name the copywriter project program. But the reason I came up with copywriting is whenever someone would call for Robert Collier letter book or one of the other books, sometimes they'd say, What book do you recommend first? I always thought a silly question because In my experience of all the people that I've ever dealt with, the people who are most successful didn't call up and ask for which one book would you recommend. They got them all. They got as many as they could, at least, and they owned a lot of them. So if you ask for one, it's like that shows me you're probably not going to be successful. You're going to give it a try, but eventually you're going to have to wake up and smell the coffee. When someone would say, what book or books do you recommend? I'd say, well, it all depends on what you're doing. So what is it you want to know how to do? Well, the number one answer was they wanted to write copy. So I decided, well, what really helped me kind of like jump start my copywriting ability is when I got good enough to be able to work with another copywriter we critique each other's stuff. That's where I found most of the jump to light speed, so to speak. Who would you do that with? Loretta Duffy. Another one of Gary's ex-girlfriends. We met each other at his seminar. She was a copywriter at that point, and it still is. So we'd trade off and she'd critique my stuff, I'd critique hers. I worked with some other people like Ken Kerr and, and Brad Peterson. So I said, this is really valuable. I'm to set up a protégé coaching program. Now, the reason coaching is because I had worked with Rob Gilbert, who's also a friend who introduced me to Paul Hartunian. And Rob coached me for about a year without me even knowing it. He was on sabbatical, and what he used to do is a university professor, and he did paid speaking. But what he do is he called me every day, and we talked. And I thought we were just chatting, and I later on realized that he was coaching me. Is this was Rob Giller Gilbert? From that, I learned what coaching was all about and how to do it. So I figured, why not a coaching program uh, around copywriting? Because the thing that accelerated my progress most is working with another copywriter. But most copywriters are too busy to give newbies the time of day and help them out. So I said, I'd be one of those people who was willing to do that. So I created the Copywriter Protégé program, and I wrote this sales letter. It was about 30 pages long. And I sent it to Loretta, and I asked for critique on it. And she sent it back to me, she said, This is really great idea. Oh, one thing I've gotta connect Lawrence Tabak with this thing. I knew about Lawrence Tabak. he was charging six ninety five at the time. I also knew because he had called me up, I wasn't in the first book, he asked if he could put my name in the second book to refer people to buy books from me. I said, Yeah, sure And then I started talking to him, but how can you do this for six ninety five? And he said, oh, I'm raising it to 19 He raised it to 19 95 But before that, I knew he was doing it successfully because when I was at the Gary Halbert seminar and I met Loretta Duffy, she had been to a previous seminar with Lawrence and she had asked him about that. And I said, how does he do that? And she says, he says that most of the calls he gets is in the first two or three months because he offered a year-long program. Right, unlimited for a year. Right. So I said, oh, okay. So I was going to offer mine for $1,000. This is before I think I found out he raised it to 1995.
0: Your letter was initially just
1: for coaching. Did you have the videotapes of your copywriting? Oh, no. This was just a coaching program on because copywriting. They had to call me up once or twice a week, give them stuff to do. I didn't even send them anything in the mail, but I put together a little package of things because I felt this is the start of something, and I'll add it to it as front went along. But I sent the letter to Loretta. She said, it's a great letter. And she said, but I think you're not charging enough for it. Do so we need 2000 is enough? She said, no, no way. be able to get at least $2,000 with it. I put the price at nineteen ninety five, and I uh, sent the letter. I had 300 copies of the letter printed up. I distributed them in various different ways. I sent some to people who bought books from me. I handed out some at a seminar. After I got done distributing the first 300 copies, I had 18 people. Oh, my God.
0: That's incredible.
1: And you know what the number one comment was?
0: You're listening to an exclusive interview with Michael Sinoff's hard interviewing Carl Goetti. Please continue to part two. But if you'd like to hone your skills as a copywriter, I have available for you the largest collection of one of the all-time master copywriters. His name is Claude Hopkins. Do a search on Claude Hopkins or go to my website, ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com. Claude Hopkins was one of the founders of modern-day advertising. He was one of the all-time legends in the industry. And Myself and a partner have authored a book called The Claude Hopkins Advertising. Advertising collection. We have also searched thousands of newspapers to pull out all his classic ads. He's been responsible for building companies like Pepsodent Toothpaste, Palmolive, Schlitz Malt Liquor, many household products like puffed wheat cereal that you're still using in your kitchens today, and he was the master and the genius behind this. He was responsible for many of the cars we drive today, like the Oldsmobile. Go check it out, ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com. If you want the ultimate in education on how to write copy, you cannot pass this up. So go on over to ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com and learn from the best.